This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Captains, you're listening to episode 288 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Available for download or streaming on Mondays, September 26th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Kenna. And as always in the recording studio is our audio engineer, Inviernos. Howdy, doody. All right, Kenna, what do we have coming up this week? Well, this week we check out the latest news in Star Trek, including release dates for the home release of Star Trek Beyond, and clarification from CBS President Les Moonves over the delay of Star Trek Discovery. We also mention a very special fan-made video celebrating the 50 years of Star Trek. In Star Trek Online news, there's a new ship bundle arriving for console players, and we've finally got news of a big new feature expected in the next seasonal update for PC. Then Dr. Robert Hurt checks in from Astrometrics with a new map of our Milky Way galaxy. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Of course, we want to remind you that we'd love to keep the conversation going with you over at facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast or on Twitter at priority one pod. You can also send us an email via incoming at priority one podcast.com. And finally, thanks again to all our Patreon supporters who make this show possible from week to week. Visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one and find out about all the cool perks we have to offer. Speaking of Patreon perks, this week on Priority One After Hours, just for our patrons, we've got some more special content from Star Trek Mission New York. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek Multiverse. I don't know. Then let's track it out. Is it just me, or are home releases of films coming out much faster than they did, say, like, five, ten years ago? I feel like we always had to wait two years before we got the home release of a theatrical film. No, I think that's just because when you're little, like, everything seems to take long. Yeah. Like, you okay. know, when, when back in the day when you used to order the, the prizes from your cereal and it would take like two weeks and it was like a whole lifetime. It's like that. Okay. So okay. I don't think it's a, well, that much faster, but yeah. Well, anywho, if you've been itching to rewatch Star Trek Beyond, you won't have to wait much longer because on October 4th, the film will be available on digital HD and then on Blu-ray and DVD... Who buys DVDs anymore on November 1st? However, if you're looking to get those special features, you're going to have to wait and purchase the physical copy from Target, the only retailer in the U.S. to carry a special edition release. What's included in this special edition, you ask? Because I know you did. Kenna, why don't you tell us? 
Well, the exclusive packaging includes four double-sided collectible cards featuring eight characters from Star Trek Beyond. And there's a bonus Blu-ray disc with over 90 minutes of extras, including 45 minutes of exclusive content. Get a behind-the-scenes look at the film's incredible visual effects, costumes, and props. Plus, see how director Justin Lin and the cast and crew of Star Trek Beyond created the climactic Battle of Yorktown and more. Meh, I don't know that I'm going to worry about this. Truth be told, I seldom watch anything beyond the deleted scenes or outtakes, to be honest. And didn't we learn a few months ago that Justin Lin wasn't all too eager to include any deleted footage from the film because, well, there wasn't much? I'm not bothered about deleted scenes. Uh, sometimes they can provide a bit of interest, but I think scenes are usually deleted for a reason, especially when you're talking film. You know, TV, things can get deleted because they need to cut it down for time. When you're looking at a film, uh, you know, things get deleted because they don't they don't work right in the film. And sometimes they're vaguely interesting. Like, I, I have had films that I particularly, particularly love that I'll go back and watch all of the content, all of the deleted stuff. But that's usually just because I love it so much I can't get enough. Um, right. uh, most films, I'm not bothered. For me, the only yeah. thing I'd be interested in is the blooper reel. Not interested at all in deleted scenes. Yeah. Right. Everyone loves the blooper reel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's probably what makes Priority One Podcast so darn popular. <laughs> <laughs> popular. Yeah. I want to be popular. Um, I'm sorry. What the <laughs> Going back to the topic that? at hand. It's for Wicked. Come on. Uh, but seriously, um, actually, I've seen quite a few negative reactions over this special edition from Target. Um, and I mean, mostly because it's only on Target. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's a money deal. It's fine. Um, Hold on a second. Because I would rather it just be one retailer than what they did with... Was it was it the first film or was it Into Darkness where different retailers had different editions? Yeah. So you had to buy all of them if you wanted all of the special features, which is a whole waste of money. So I I would rather it be one single retailer yeah. with the special features than than it be splintered and fragmented the way it was before. That was just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that... Okay, I don't know anything about the industry. I'm going to preface this statement by saying that I'm not I'm not convinced that the special features are 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 going to make someone go particularly out of their way to target to see it or to purchase it. Um I think they'll get more they'll get more people switching to the digital HD because it comes out first than they will get people who want to go to Target for those particular special features. I think the the getting it early is more of a draw than an extra few deleted scenes. Well, picking up from last week's discussion on Star Trek Discovery, last week it was reported that the new series was going to be delayed until May of 2017. Now, generally, as a fan, you're either in the doom and gloom camp or in the this is good camp. Well, CBS President Les Moonves addressed the concerns in a media conference on September 15th, saying, quote, For those who think that's something to be worried about, let me assure you it's not. The producers came into my office last week and begged me. They said, we are creating an entire universe. You know how fanatical Star Trek fans are. We're creating this universe. We need a couple more months to get the effects right, to get the world right. Please let us have until May. With Star Trek, which is the family jewels, I'd rather it be a few months late and great than early and not great, because we will suffer for it. So we made the decision to give them the time to make their perfect Star Trek, which we are wildly anticipating. 
In addition, we have the Good Wife spin-off, which was going to be ready earlier. So basically, we just flipped their position on our calendar. I think a lot of the fear comes from the fact that flexibility like this is generally unheard of. But let's face it, Discovery has a few things going for it, right? A, according to Moonves, the show is already paid for thanks to its deal with Netflix and the influx of CBS All Access subscriptions since its announcement. We'll have links to that in the show notes. And B, Discovery isn't scheduled for a weekly time slot on an over-the-air or cable network. Now, when you look at missed opportunities, like not announcing a cast at something like Star Trek Mission New York... It can make you wonder and worry how far along the process they are. After all, Trek Movie just confirmed on September 15th that Discovery won't begin shooting until November, which means it's more than likely that they're still wrapping casting. I, I do think that this Star Trek series has had an unusually high amount of interest for the pre-production process. Uh, you don't often see new TV shows getting this level of attention for literally every single detail about everything that comes out. Um, so uh, given the amount of information that we have ahead of anything actually happening, I think is actually kind of astonishing. Um, I'm surprised that they've announced really anything yet other than we're we're putting something in production. So I'm I'm willing to forgive that because they need to make sure that absolutely everything they say is right because even this delay which is you know in my mind such a non-event has drawn so much criticism and so many jumping to conclusions that it's all going to hell and it's like guys it hasn't even premiered yet so you know i'm i'm relaxed about it i think that there will be a big announcement at some point and it will be announced at whatever the biggest fan-ish type event there is at the time it's ready to announce. We're drawing the conclusion to the convention season, and New York Comic Con uh, doesn't have anything on the panels for Star Trek, yeah. or scheduled for Star Trek, um, so it's unlikely. I mean, it would have to be some pretty big news. Yeah. But here's the other side. Now, I overreact for a reason, right? If, for those of you who don't know, I act sometimes. Really? Really? What? No. <laughs> When push comes to shove, you're damned if you do, you're damned if yep. you don't, right? Because we had, we it, with, with the Kelvin timeline films, we had quite a lot of information, almost too much information given about, given about plot or development. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there was a lot of criticism for the information that was, that was released. Mm -hmm. For Star Trek Discovery, I, I am in the, I really am in the camp where I, I believe personally it's better if they keep their hand close to their chest. Yeah, I agree. Instead of showing their cards. Sure, would it have been nice to have a little, have had a little bit more from something like Star Trek Mission New York mm -hmm. or even earlier in, in Vegas? Yeah, absolutely. But in Mission New York, they had pre-recorded a, a video that was recorded by Brian Fuller and some of the other uh, creative team members for Star Trek Beyond. Even though the video didn't reveal much, what you could tell was that Brian Fuller, he sounds like he genuinely cares about this IP, right? He doesn't want to mess this up. Yep. I am more than happy to accept the, the, the silence and the delay and have a solid story and character development because as we know and as you, and as you adequately described last week, Star Trek Beyond belongs on the couch. Yeah. 
I don't want it to just hold up to Star Trek. I want it to hold up to television, right? Television has changed so drastically in the last three to four years with things like Breaking Bad, things like Walking Dead, mm -hmm. series like Battlestar Galactica, right? We, have, we are in the era of television. You, you, can't, you can't make TV the way it was 10 years ago. No. You just can't. So I would rather them have that extra time to, to bring Star Trek into 2016 in a way that we, we will just everybody's going to be like, give this show an Emmy. <laughs> exactly. Well, from kind of a heavy subject, uh, moving on to something a little bit lighter. Have you ever wanted to try your hand at the Kobayashi Maru simulation? Well, although there are several video games that offer the simulation, <clears throat> not Star Trek Online, now you can try your luck by following a nifty little flowchart. <laughs> now, this is by no means a serious test, but it uses fun references from the films and TV to help you figure out if you have what it takes. Spoiler alert, you always fail. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Speaking of fun creations from fans, a video was posted on YouTube back in July celebrating the 50 years of Star Trek and many of its most impactful themes. You can find this video on the YouTube channel Comedy Forecast, the number four, and it's a little under 40 minutes long. It's expertly cut and narrated, but above all, it's a touching homage to why many of the themes keep us all in love with Star Trek. So be sure to trek it out. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Now let's get Mark in on the discussion and find out what's been happening in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome back to Star Trek Online News, and welcome back to Mark. Hello. Hello. And welcome back to news, because, hey, there's news. Da -da -da -da. It's amazing. Yay. And there was much rejoicing. <laughs> so it turns out that, as we suspected, cryptic devs have indeed been hard at work on the next big thing. And it's a brand new fleet holding. Well, technically it's an old fleet holding, but new to us, or something. Anyway, before we get to the details on that, let's have a look at the latest content to hit console. The first Sea Store bundle available to console players will be the three heavy escort carriers. The Alita class for Federation, the Cattell Flight Deck Raptor for Klingons, and the Jahel Tactical Warbird Carrier for Romulans. Originally released earlier this year for PC, these three ships are available on their own for 3,000 zen, or as a bundle of all three for 6,000 zen. Heavy escort carriers are a blend of the maneuverability and firepower of escorts with the tactical flexibility of carriers. All three of these ships feature pilot bridge officer seating, the universal console destabilized tachyonometers, and the starship trait coordinated assault. The universal console could be useful if you like a bit of shield stripping, the large radius tachyon radiation burst it emits does a massive burst of shield damage and then more damage to shields over time. For extra firepower, you could also combine it with the coordinated assault trait, which lets your pets use beam overload or cannon rapid fire when you do. And did I mention that these ships are pretty slick looking too? For pictures and further stats, we'll leave a link in the show notes at priorityonepodcast.com forward slash bo288. In further console news, we've finally found out the official names for the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 shards, and they are Andor for PlayStation and Romulus for Xbox. What's with the planet names, you say? 
Well, shout out to our very own Jace for pointing out that Andor evokes blueness and Romulus evokes uh, greenness, which just happens to match perfectly to those platform's colors. So now you know. When Star Trek Online tweets that Andor is unlocked, they are not referring to a recently lifted trade embargo, but instead that the weekly shard maintenance is complete. Although one does question why it's Romulus and not new Romulus, which would be more in keeping with Stowe canon, but I guess we can let it slide. Have you been wanting to know where the story of STO has been, or where it's going, depending on your progress? Been looking for those specific episodes and movies to watch to tie Star Trek Online to the television shows? Look no further than the Temporal Summary released recently by Perfect World Entertainment. This infographic tracks the timeline of Trek. Crossing seasons, movies and universes, it links episode arcs to series with seasons and episode links to where they occur in the vast Trek timeline. It even gives what we know of the future timelines, such as approximate dates of the Temporal Cold War and formation of the Temporal Integrity Commission in the 2800s. It's an interesting graphic for those of you either new to the game and wondering where the story goes or even if you're more experienced and want to see where they link up. We posted it up on Facebook and Twitter last week and of course we'll also post it in our show notes for your viewing pleasure. I had a look at this and I thought it was actually really, really well done. Oh yeah. Yeah, wasn't it just... It was interesting to see everything all laid out and, you know, just linking in uh, between, you know, TV shows and um, movies and Star Trek Online and everything. You know what my only complaint is? What's that? It needs to be landscape because it's kind of portrait. Yeah, it is. It is would, a portrait. It would make one. a fantastic wallpaper for your desktop. It would be Actually, amazing. Yeah, um, it would. But it, it can't. Oh, maybe I could. Maybe I could turn it on its side. I don't know. Or if someone listening would like to get on that and let us know, you know, that'd be really appreciated. And now onto an upcoming feature teased to be included in the next Star Trek Online seasonal update for PC which we're guessing is right around the corner. The newest, oldest fleet holding has been announced for Eager Fleets, Station K-13 Returns, designed in part by Donnie Versaja, one of the newest members of Cryptic's environment team. In what's being described as a, quote, update later this year, end quote, Station K-13 returns from its voyage inside the temporal anomaly from the Star Trek Online episode Painful Omens, part of the Agents of Yesterday story arc. Between a story blog and the official announcement, here's the rundown on what we know and can expect. Station K-13 will be a new TOS-themed fleet holding that has been discovered in a part of previously unknown space. The focus of the station, which needs to be restored to its former glory, is strange new and old technologies. Stasis pods and their associated occupants will offer bridge and duty officer options, and advancing through the holding will offer options for new gear for both ship and crew, with items such as engineering ship consoles, weapons, and costume options. Now, those of us who have been through the fleet holding system, though, will know there will be an element of visual improvement, added convenience options, and all resulting in the usual dilithium sink. Additional updates are teased before its release, and the holding will be coming soon to the Tribble test server on PC, and we expect it to eventually be released on console sometime after Agents of Yesterday is added. I'm betting that we are probably a good month away from the next season release. October 5th. Yeah, it's the, the timeline's 5th. right, isn't it? Yeah, they're, I've been uh, seeing it for a while. Okay. Okay. Mark says October fifth. Is somebody writing that down? 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, the timeline works. They usually release big features like that to test on Tribble about a month before they go live. So uh, that's good. Also, what I, f- what I thought was really interesting about this announcement was that it's been discovered in a part of previously unknown space. That caught my attention. Mm, so uh, are we going to be seeing an actual new location? Like new new sector space? Gamma Quadrant, maybe. Hmm. I mean, it's. That's a, I, I mean, that's big. That's big. I know. But, but it could but, just be a small part. You know, like with the Delta Quadrant, just a small part. Mm-hmm. But it, it was mentioned uh, at least twice in the different blogs, and uh, that could be cool new story content. I mean, the the story blog that was associated with it was quite. It was kind of interesting, and implied that they they didn't know about the planet that they were kind of surrounded surrounding when they went through the temporal anomaly Uh, so there's loads of potential there which is quite exciting and they were the the developers were teasing that they're doing something big and exciting so this could be big and exciting it would be nice and i suppose it wouldn't be out of the realms of possibility for them to let's say expand the alpha quadrant by a sector block and add in a few new locations so I don't know. Um, I suppose it's possible. I would ex- typically I would expect you know new sector space to come with an expansion. But if they're only adding in a sector block and a few new locations, nothing has to be tied to those locations. They can just expand sector space and you know use it later on for something else. Here's what I want to know: Is it going to be in the 25th century? Are they going to pull it into the 25th century into a new sector space, or do we think it's going to be in a different time? Well, they pulled the Agents of Yesterday characters into the current STL timeline, so it makes sense for the holding to follow suit. And the other, the the last thing that I'm quite excited about is the fact that we know we've had kind of teased that we will have more TOS content, uh, not necessarily like story content I don't know about that but you know gear and all that kind of stuff and that's this sounds like we're gonna get some TOS style stuff we'll get all the stuff that you know we wanted for our ships and things the, the gear the weapons the costumes and this new fleet holding could be where it gets uh, gets purchased from so that's quite that's quite exciting because I, I do I do like the TOS stuff for my TOS captain it could be getting the stuff that we missed in the old airspace talk. Remember we were talking about how you, you missed things and you didn't have enough energy credits to get it and yeah, this might exactly. be a way to bring it back in. Yeah, but you know, and I, I like the the idea that they've they've touted it as being combined of the uh, 23rd century aesthetic with the with the 25th century technology. I like that. I, I'm, I'm very hopeful. The power. Looks like it could be potential. Another good thing about this as well is uh, introducing uh, a new dilithium sink, even though it is only a temporary fix. That's exactly um, what I was going to say. It's temporary dilithium sink, but it is a dilithium sink, so yeah. Uh, so it may affect uh, the price of dilithium on the dilithium exchange, but only for a limited time. I think it's something that they need to probably work on or think about a little bit more uh, more of a permanent solution that, that's if they want to come up with a solution to the current high price that's on the exchange but anyway that's the subject for a different day yes well that brings us to this week's community question 
What TOS-themed gear would you most like to see become available through the new Starbase K-13? Now that could be weapons, devices, or even costumes. And finally, a new bundle has been released. The Keyring Bundle, which will be available for the PC platform only. This will be a special pack that includes 20 master keys to open lockboxes for the price of 2,250 zen. The promotional bundle runs until the 10th of October, but during this time, purchasing the bundle includes and introduces a new mechanic. The single ultimate tech upgrade, which, get this, will instantly set both mark and quality to maximum. That would mean Mark 14 and epic or gold quality gear. Uh, so that's mm. kind of awesome. Because, mm. like, if you're short on time, dude, you know, okay, uh, say you've got I got eight weapons and I just I want them to epic. I, that, I, I could just, like, have that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which is good. but to me, it defeats a lot of purposes and I'm going to slightly cross into border. You're going to rant right now, I'm gonna aren't rant. you? You're going to yeah. rant right now. Go on, just just go for it. it. I think they're starting to cross the Peter Wynn line. Yeah. It's, it, is, it is blatant. You afford the money during this promotional period because they've got the mechanic in now. It will, be, it will come back. You're introducing an element of pay to win. But we've always had an element of pay to win. Not Let's to this not deny that. That's true. This is taking it to a, an extreme. This is saying literally, pay us cash, and you can skip to the end. So, yeah, uh, we don't know. We don't know if there's like a, a time on it. I don't know. Oh, although it does it say instantly set both mark and quality to maximum. Mm-hmm. So, with no dilithium cost. With no dilithium cost. I used. I will admit, in, in purposes of research, I went and got one, being the good host I am, and straight up. No dilithium, right there. Did it have to? It didn't have the the timer or whatever it, it is nope. when it upgrades. Just didn't. Okay, well, the thing is, do you really think that many people are gonna are gonna go the pay to win route on that? The people who can afford it, yeah. Yeah, and what's I mean, the thing is, I okay, I'm coming from a, from this, I'm coming at this argument from a, from a point of view that I don't really mind that much. There probably are going to be a, a couple of quote-unquote whales that will go out and spend all their money, but are they? Don't you think that's going to be kind of a limited thing? So they're going to get all their gear to 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 gold, uh, and then what? They're not going to like go and get every piece of gear in the game and make it all gold. They might. I, th- I think what's going to happen is that the game will get a nice little influx of cash and then it will go back to being it's still going to be that small core people who 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 everything's you know gold plated everything but I, I still don't think it's going to affect the majority of the player base it just might mean people might not invest in much in the actual crafting system they'll just go well i'll just wait until this comes around again and then i'll buy as many as I need to get as many of the ultimate tech upgrades and bottom. I can see both sides of this. I, I can see where Mark is saying it's pay to win, but on the other hand, uh, nobody forces you. Uh, you know, the option is there if you want it. Nobody forces anybody to buy this for two thousand two hundred and fifty zen. Personally, I'm not one bit interested in it at all, and I'll tell you why. I've got twenty nine characters. If you say for each one of those characters you have 12 pieces of gear to upgrade, 
That's 12 of those packs times 2,250 zen for 29 characters. It, it's just, it's not viable. I mean, you'd want to be a millionaire who could just drop 10 grand on the game. Oh, what, you're not? What? <laughs> yeah, oh, right. wow, I'm, I've been misled this whole time, Winters. <laughs> <laughs> but for, you know, somebody who's just a casual player who has one character and has limited time, it might be a nice thing, but it only gets one piece of gear out of the 12 pieces of gear that you probably have on your ship. It only gets one of them up to Epic. I think that the price of keys will probably drop a little bit on the exchange while this is going on, because guaranteed there, there will be people that will pick it up. But I don't know if the va- I I really doubt the vast majority of people will take this option. Yeah, I have no intention of doing it. I did it the once just to, so I could talk about it, and I will not do it again. I mean, to be honest, I can't remember the last time I upgraded anything. Which sounds really bad, but I got myself to a place in what I was doing that I was happy with my build. Now I'm happy with my build. I play the content. It's at an easy-ish level for me. I don't really feel the need to upgrade anymore. So it doesn't appeal to me that much, I have to say. And I have a question for you guys. Is this going a step backwards? I mean, we were just talking about a dilithium sink. Something like this is literally taking the demand away from dilithium. No one wants because you don't need any dilithium in order to to use this upgrade. So is it like the opposite of a dilithium sink? Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say no, uh, because people will um, and have traded dilithium for Zen in order to get this. I mean... The day after this was announced, the Dilithium exchange went up by 11 points. The day after. So within, whatever, the 12 hours from the initial release to 12 hours later, uh, the exchange went up by 11 points. So that was clearly people going, oh, this is great. Uh, You know, I can get this up to Mark 14 Epic. And they dumped a crap ton of Dilithium on the exchange to get Zen. And it just kept on going. And I, I have not done the maths on this, but would you take more or less dilithium to get the amount of zen that you'd need for that box that you would upgrading something? Now there's a question. Maybe one of our listeners can work that out. I'd be quite interested. At the roughly current exchange rate, what equivalent num- amount of dilithium would you need in order to get that ultimate tech upgrade? Yeah, that uh, would be quite interesting. And uh, the other thing that I wonder about it, which I haven't, I haven't seen the answer to yet, is uh, would you want to use this on something that you crafted at Mark II? Because, you know, there's that whole thing about you craft something at Mark II for very cheap, and then you can upgrade it, and, you know, at whatever, whenever you hit the, the last mod... Um, you can ditch it and sell it for something else because you you wouldn't know what that mod was until it was Mark 14 Epic, which is a little harder to sell than the the lower Mark with that slightly wrong mod. That's a, that's a very good point because if you craft something, let's say you're uh, level 15 in beam weapons and you craft yourself a beam array at Mark 2, so it's got three mods on it that were chosen randomly. There's still two more mods that are going to come after you apply this tech upgrade that are going to be completely random. It's another thing that we cannot choose what modifiers we get on our gear. 
it still has that random element and you could upgrade something and go oh crap exactly. I really you didn't want got that the mod, mod you want. yeah or the other option is that you you try to upgrade it the slow way where you get your mods early because you've you've got your rarity upgrade early so that before you get to mark 14 you know what your mods are and then you go up but then you know is the effectiveness of that upgrade uh, diminished a little bit because actually you only end up upgrading it from mark 12 to 14 you save a bit of dilithium i guess yeah i mean to be fair i'd i'd quite like to take i mean i've got 14 ultra rares already i'd quite like one day to get them to epic it's not on high on my priority list i'm certainly not going to pay 2250 zen to get them there. It almost seems like a waste because it's really going from Mark 14 Ultra Rare up to Mark 14 Epic. No, it doesn't seem like that big of a step, really, even though it is a lot of dilithium. Yeah, I'm not... I'm just not... Even though it's cool, and it's cool that it's like a new thing, I'm, I'm not convinced that many people are going to take it up for, for those reasons. I'll tell you right now what these tech upgrades will actually be good for. Reputation gear. Specifically, engine deflector shields and maybe a reputation warp core. Because, if I remember correctly, they have fixed modifiers. And reputation gear is the most expensive gear to upgrade. In terms of dilithium cost? Yes. Um, well, in terms of uh, tech point cost, which in turn translates into dilithium cost. So these tech upgrades will be ideal if you were upgrading, let's say, your omnidirectional bore kinetic beam array or uh, the Iconian engine deflector shield warp core, Terran warp core. That's where they will be very good. Yeah, see, you're convincing me now because I've got reputation gear and I hadn't considered that effect. Yeah, but you're, you're weapons right. and stuff like that, consoles, I would say probably a waste of the tech upgrade and you could go ah oh, crap it's not what i wanted but in the in terms of reputation gear for space sets very good i would say well again this week in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from pwe and cryptic that aren't officially announced in the blogs here's the latest comments pulled from the twitterverse al at captain gecko rivera tweeted the sto team got sweet latinum plated enterprise f courtesy of Perfect World. They're all metal and pretty spectacular. These look really, really nice. Yeah. yeah they're, they're not really plated in latinum, though, are they? Well, no. no. It's pretty shiny gold colour, but it isn't latinum. It's, it's, it's nice. Latinum's not a real thing, is it? Nope. At least no. not yet. No. We've tried. No. But, um, yeah, definitely pretty. Um, I'd quite like one. So I know, so would I. Did you know very, that my birthday is on October the 10th? Hmm. But anyway, Thomas Maroney at cryptic underscore TTC tweeted, Excited to share my first appearance on the Trekyards YouTube channel. It's good. They specifically look just at Star Trek ships and all the things related to that. It's actually a good YouTube channel to watch if you're a, a ship um, buff. And Jeremy Randall at Vorticus Cryptic tweeted in a reply about the bug, the head trauma. Bug confirmed. PSA, please don't get head trauma. It's bad. Repro steps for this were not fun. And get well soon, Bordicus. 
<laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, uh, lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online news, here are some upcoming events to look forward to. For PC players, there will be a bonus experience event from the 29th of September till the 3rd of October. And for console players, at the time of recording the show, there seems to be nothing on the horizon. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> And of course, as always, events are subject to change without notice, and make sure you check the in-game calendar or listen in here at Priority One Podcast for the latest news and updates from Star Trek Online. Now, let's head to the Astrometrics Lab for an update from our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt. For this week's Astrometrics Report, we're going to turn to one of the basic operations of any starship, stellar cartography. In Star Trek, if you want to map out the location of stars, you just take your starship to the region in question, fly through it, and note where everything is. It's kind of the equivalent of mapping out every tree in a forest by wandering through it and manually tagging the GPS location of each tree as you walk by. But what do you do if you're stuck on the edge of the forest and you have to map all the trees without ever taking one step forward? That's the problem that astronomers face, basically stuck on the Earth, but wanting to understand the 3D structure of the Milky Way galaxy and all the stars in it. A technique they can use is as simple as looking at the forest with your eyes. The fact that we have two eyes that are separated by a slight distance gives us the opportunity to look at things from two slightly different vantage points the differences between those two vantage points allow us to sort of unconsciously triangulate and establish positions of near things and far things. Now obviously the stars are a lot further away than a nearby forest, but fortunately astronomers happen to be living on a planet that swings back and forth around the sun, giving us a kind of cosmic parallax. Remarkably, the distance that the Earth moves traversing from one side of the Sun to the other, which is about 186 million miles, gives us enough baseline that with a sufficiently powerful telescope, we can actually perceive the parallax of stars that are actually thousands of light years away, and thus determine their distance. This is exactly the technique used by the European Space Agency's Gaia mission. Launched in July 2014, this telescope has been patiently mapping out the locations of a billion stars in the Milky Way. By very precisely measuring the locations of stars as it travels along with the Earth from one side of the Sun to the other, it has mapped out a catalog of the precise locations and how those locations change slightly. This gives us a database that we can now start to reconstruct the 3D structure of our own galaxy. The Gaia project has just released a catalog of about 1 billion stars, which is approaching 1% of the total number of stars in the Milky Way galaxy. For about 2 million of these stars, it's managed to map out their 3D location in space. This is 20 times more stars than were in the Hipparchus catalog, our previous attempt to make this map of the Milky Way. Currently, we will be able to measure the distances to stars about 4,800 light-years away, or roughly two-thirds of the way to the center of the galaxy. As Gaia continues to map the sky with its two integrated telescopes and one billion pixel detector, it will fill out this catalog, adding more stars and more precisely determining the positions and motions of the stars in the sky. That gives us a pretty good head start on mapping out a lot of the alpha and beta quadrants before we've got starships around to help us complete the job. 
Before I wrap up for this week, we do have a listener question from Eichkästchen in Germany, who asks, How do you determine the colors used on the visualizations that most of the public generally consumes? Well, this question is very near and dear to my own heart because one of my core jobs is actually to produce such imagery from a variety of NASA astrophysics missions. Well, the short answer is that while our eyes are remarkable, they actually only pick up a relatively narrow slice of colors in the entire spectrum of light, roughly corresponding to red, green, and blue. Astronomers, however, find that to get a complete picture of the universe, whether you are studying exoplanets or black holes or star-forming regions, you need to access the entire spectrum of light. That includes radio waves, microwaves, infrared, visible light, ultraviolet, x-rays, and even gamma rays. Now, a computer doesn't really care from what part of the spectrum a data set comes, and it's more than happy to construct an image that we can look at based on those observations. I like to describe the process as a kind of visual translation, taking an image from a part of the spectrum that our eyes can't read, and translating into a part of the spectrum that we can, basically colors that are reconstructed from red, green, and blue. It's kind of the visual equivalent of having a text from a language that you can't read given to you in your native tongue so that you can actually appreciate it even though the original words wouldn't have any meaning for you. If you'd like to know more about this, I actually gave a public talk on the topic about a year ago at a photography conference. Uh, we'll provide links for that video in the show notes. Now let's go back to you guys and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Since there was no community question last week, we pulled together some of your general comments from our social media channels. From our website, priority1podcast.com, BWLeon7 commented, I would love to have another group of worlds that is organized in a way similar to the Federation, but disagrees with the Federation over the Prime Directive. This other organization is not against the Federation and generally get along well with them, but they think that it's the duty of more powerful worlds to help less advanced ones. Now, I kind of like this idea. It would be very interesting to explore not only how they then interact with these lesser advanced worlds, but also how they interact with the Federation, because what would happen if there was a planet that was sort of in between, that the Federation was like, hands off, and these guys were like, no, we're going to go and help them. Would the Federation step in? Or how how far would they let that go before they kind of had to say, no, you need to stop doing that? Well, if you want to, go and read the full circle series of when Voyager went back to the Delta Quadrant, and there is a little bit of this in the novels. It's really good. Uh, I should do that. From Facebook, James Sillett commented, Great show. The lack of news during the 50th anniversary is kind of sad, but I really liked your discussions about the STO console experience. From Twitter, at the Lady Renegade tweeted us, catching up on Priority One Pod. Truly enjoyable and actually very interesting set of thoughts I now have to ponder. Listen to it. That's right. Listen to us. Yeah. Listen we always to it. us. Yeah, she's got very good advice there. Mind you, <laughs> if anyone's listening to this, they're already listening to it, so. Mm. So, you know what mm. you need to do? Tell, your, tell friends. your friends. Tell your friends. Absolutely. <laughs> Invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Well, we're cutting to the end. <laughs> From the Star Trek Online forums, Dan Quiller said, Hey guys, great show as always. 
Priority 1 is where I listen to find out what's going on in the world of Trek and the game, and you never disappoint. To the idea of doing an episode or movie from the vantage point of a species being introduced to the Federation and perhaps not being overjoyed at the prospect, well, why not watch the original The Day the Earth Stood Still? Of course, if the Federation had problems and wanted to introduce the culture to the larger universe a person at a time, they might just make him distribute a video game on the planet where players take on the role of a Starfleet cadet who has been recruited by the Federation to defend the final frontier from Noi and the foregone Armada. Anyway, look forward to hearing your next shows. And finally, Cal Riviera emailed us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. In your last episode, you asked what would happen if the Federation came to Earth. Kenna asked what would happen if we didn't like them and how the Federation would react. Well, in TNG Season 4, Episode 14, First Contact, that is exactly what happens. Riker is incognito on a planet on the verge of warp drive. When he's discovered, the Malkorians are paranoid and not ready for this and ask Picard to leave them alone, which Picard does. The Federation respects their wishes and leaves them alone. Boom. Yeah, that was that was Captain Gecko, by the way. If you didn't catch that, <laughs> correcting you know what? me. You know what? You, you, look, look. Okay, you can't write into the show and give yourself your own mic drop. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Cal. You just can't do it. Yeah, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, Captains, that we want to start highlighting some of your Trek stories on the show. So from now on, we want to hear from you about how Trek has inspired you and your life. Whatever it is, send it to us via email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com and we'll pick one to read each and every month. Well, that wraps up episode 288 of Priority One Podcast. But before we go, here's our community questions for this week. Now that we've had some time to think about what it means for Star Trek Discovery to have been delayed until May of 2017, do you think more time will give the creative team an opportunity to produce a great Star Trek series for a new generation of Trekkies? Do the special features on Star Trek Beyond entice you enough to purchase the Blu-ray edition exclusive to Target? And what TOS-themed gear would you most like to see become available through the new Starbase K-13 in Star Trek Online? It could be weapons, devices, or even costumes. Captains, you know we love hearing from you, so leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast. You can also find us on Twitter, at PriorityOnePod. You can even leave us a voicemail via SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget right on our homepage. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. And if you're listening to us via iTunes or Google Play, please leave us a review. And more importantly, help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com, covering the world of space things, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many, many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. And tune in to their latest episode for a very special Easter egg. Thanks to our graphic artists, Romulan Ale and Jason Smith. To our writer and social media manager, Jake Morgan. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman, and to consultant Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media for supporting this show. Thanks to our audio team led by Michael Invierno McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, Asmaria Depost, and Gavin Lawarn. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. 
Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. And as always in the recording studio is our audio engineer, Invierno. (laughs) (laughs) Translation? Winters. Winters. (laughs) Also, you totally made always. You you have like always is three syllables for you and it's really amazing. (laughs) And there's always in the recording studio. Oh, man. Oh, all right, Hello, fine. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we want to remind you that we love to keep the conversation going at facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast. I just hit the microphone. <gasps> and speaking of Pete, la 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 la. Canna has to add. Canna has to add. I know it's not, it's not good. <laughs> speaking not of good. Patreon perks this week, uh, uh, Speaking of Patreon perks, this week for our patrons, we have special content from Star Trek Mission New York. Now, let's trek out the latest news from the world of Star Trek. I don't know why I said that. I keep saying Star Trek. Star Star Trek. No, it's Star Trek. Star. I know. know. I'm aware. I know that. Otherwise, I know how to say it. I've been, I've been, you know what? Do you even watch the show? Look who's talking. (laughs) Who watches the show? They listen to us. No, no, no. Star Trek, the show. The show Star Trek. That's like why we're here. Now let's check out the latest news from the world of Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Sorry. Now let's check out the latest news from the world of Star Trek. Is it world? Shouldn't it be the universe of Star Trek? The Star Trek universe? Star Trek. You're right. Okay. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek galaxy. That sounds so stupid. <laughs> the Star Trek universe. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but which Star Trek universe? The Star Trek multiverse. <laughs> oh, God. That's true. That's true. Oh, if you're going to get technical. Now, let's track out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. That also <laughs> sounds so lame. Oh, God. All right, everybody, hit stop. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, truck it on three, two. Uh, I'm sorry. God, <laughs> skip to this this bit. is this is Elijah. Truck it out. Sync one. This is Kenna. Truck it out. Totes professional. Sync two. This is Winters. Truck it out. Sync three. Truck it out in three, two. 
In addition, we have the Good Wife spinoff, which was going to be ready earlier. So, sorry, there was a yeah, huge could, truck going by. Could hear that. Sorry about that. <laughs> Close your damn window. Uh, it is closed. I'm literally five feet from the street right now. After all, Trek movie just confirmed on... After all, Trek movie just confirmed that Star... Why? Just take a, just after, take a beat. Just, you know. After... Hey. It's hey. for horses. Hey. Hey. Yeah. Hey. Hey's... After all... <laughs> hey's for horses, not for cows. Ha. <laughs> What? Hay is for horses, not for cows. He's from the city. He doesn't know what hay is. He doesn't. He doesn't know what cows are. <laughs> I know what hay. I mean, I know what cows are. But above all, it really is a touching homage to why many of the themes that keep homage to. Okay. Homage. But above all, it's a touching homage to what homage is. Uh, homage. It is homage. I'm an idiot. <laughs> You're not an idiot. Um. But above all, it's a touching homage to why many of the themes that keep us all in love with Star Trek. No, that <laughs> doesn't make sense. Make sense. And Winter, stop eating. <laughs> but above all, it's a touching homage to why many of the themes keep us keep us all in love with Star Trek. But above all, it's a touching homage to why homage. Oh. <laughs> You can't say homage, though. I've heard homage. I don't know. I always say homage. homage, but then I've only ever heard it but used it slightly ironically. No, you're right. It's homage. It's homage. <laughs> only in the nude. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> only in the nude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody hit Maybe it's, uh, whatever it is. <laughs> Maybe it's starting a podcast. No, 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 don't, shut up. Don't shut up. Stop interrupting me. I know. I know I suck today. Just just <laughs> let me go silent and let me pick up. Okay? I know. I get it. Just pick it up. You can I do get it. it. Just stop interrupting me. <laughs> Whatever it is, okay. send you it to can us. Do it. You suck. <laughs> such. <laughs> we love you, Elijah. We love you. Whatever it is, send it to us via email to incoming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't anymore. I just quit. Okay. <laughs> With specific season, I've learned that he's specific too many f***ing times. <laughs> I started laughing when he said specific for the second this time. This specific infographic tracks the timeline specifically of Trek. Crossing specific seasons, movies, and specific universes. It links specific episodes <laughs> arc, arcs to I specific I am just removing series. the f***ing words. <laughs> <sighs> that was funny. That was fun. It was like for you. Specificity. Specificity. Specificity.